Well, good morning. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you this morning. This summer, we've been going through Hebrews 11, Portraits of Faith is our sermon series of the summer, and we're looking at different portraits, different examples of people who lived their life by faith. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, tells us to imitate the faith of those who have gone before us, as well as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. So the book of Hebrews tells us as Christians to imitate the faith of those who have gone before us. It's incredible to be a part of this church body where we have people who have lived by faith who we can imitate. Doris Eckblad Olson, who will be down in Elfers Hall after the service, Come and hear her stories, get to know her, and imitate her faith. The Gundersons, who have left it all and moved to Brazil and followed Jesus there, they give us an example of faith to imitate. And then many of you, as, as, you, as you look around, as you get to know the body of Christ, God has placed people in our church and in your path that you would observe their life and that you would imitate their faith. And so we have examples here in our church body but what we're also doing this summer is we're really wanting to look at the examples given to us in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you would turn there with me, Hebrews chapter 11, we've been going through this kind of figure by figure throughout the summer, and today we come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. And so actually, if you could stand as I read this, it's on page 1008 in the Pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 is the example that we're looking at today. It says this, by faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. That's it. That's our verse for today. Lord, I pray that you would help this passage to come to life for us. And of course, it points us to a much longer passage, a story in Scripture. But we see clearly here, by faith, incredible things, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, happens as we place our faith in you. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so, God, I pray that you would increase our faith. And as you do, I pray that you would do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So that is our passage for today, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down when they had been encircled for seven days. And this is going to lead us back to Joshua chapter 6. This is where the story is found. And so if you want to flip to Joshua chapter 6, it's on page 181 in the Pew Bible. Flip there. And before we dig into Joshua chapter 6, I'm going to summarize for you or give you the big idea of what I think God is trying to get at with faith here in this story, in this passage. Kind of between Joshua chapter 6 and here Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30. Here's what I think we're seeing and what, what God has for us this morning. Faith produces obedience before giving evidence. As we dig into the story of Joshua and the people of Israel going into the city of Jericho, as we look at the life of Joshua, as we look at his faith and his example that we would imitate it, as we look at the people of Israel and their faith and their example in this specific story that we would imitate it, I think we see that faith produces obedience before it gives evidence. Think about that. Faith Faith in God, trust in who God is and how God works, it causes us to act before it gives us proof of how God's going to respond 
to our actions. That's counterintuitive. That's, that's countercultural. That's not how we normally operate. Most people, we want to see some proof. We want to see some evidence before we step out and we do something, right? I mean, before you take a new job, you want to see the job description. You want to sign a contract. You want to know what the salary package is going to be, what the benefits may be. Before you, before you step into something, you need to see some proof. You need to see some evidence. But what we see in Scripture is that faith in God produces obedience before it gives us evidence. In fact, that's what Hebrews 11 starts out with. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then throughout the chapter of Hebrews 11, we're given example of example after example of people who obeyed God because of who He is. And what he's done before God gave them any future evidence. Now, there was plenty of rear view mirror evidence, right? And we're going to see that as we look at the story of Joshua and the Israelites going into Jericho, we're going to see that God gives plenty of evidence from the past works of him. So as we look behind us, as we remember who God is and what God has done, there's plenty of evidence that God is trustworthy and good. But God often calls us out, he moves us forward to follow him before he gives us evidence of what that will look like. That's what we're going to look at today. And I think as we look at this, we're going to see four characteristics of obedience. So faith produces obedience before it gives us evidence. What does obedience look like? How does faith produce obedience? And we're going to see this in Joshua and the Israelites. And so I want to look at four different characteristics of obedience that we see in this story. And in fact, to get started, before we get into Joshua chapter 6, I want to start in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, the first characteristic of obedience that we see in this story is that obedience to the Lord is strong and courageous. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. This is where the story kind of begins. And for those of you who are less familiar with the Bible, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of disobedience, but God was still being faithful to them. And so there's this weird interaction and relationship between God's people and God where they're disobedient and yet sometimes they're obedient and they're just flaky. They're like you and I. Sometimes they're doing really good, they're listening well, they're obeying, and other times they're just complete fools who are doing their own thing and they complain. Anyone relate? I can relate to that. Sometimes I complain and sometimes I worship. Welcome to life as a human being. And so that's God's people, his interaction with them. And God had been leading them through the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're about to come into the promised land. And God has given them a new leader, Joshua. And here's what he tells Joshua. Here's a characteristic of obedience. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A characteristic of obedience is strength and courage. 
We see this in Joshua, their leader, and then we see this in the Israelites as they follow Joshua, their leader, as they, we'll get to the story, but as they walk around the walls of Jericho, this city, this fortified city with an army, they're walking around with trumpets yelling. That took strength and courage. So a characteristic for us to obey God, for us to express our faith, is to grow in strength and courage as God commands Joshua and as the people need strength and courage to follow Joshua. We must, as we grow in faith and obey the Lord, we must grow in strength and courage. How does this happen? How does this happen? Do we just muster it up? Can we muster up strength and courage to obey God? Well, no, we can't. Some of you have tried that. You know it's futile. You know it doesn't work. So look at verse 5. Before the command to be strong and courageous, here's what God says. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We can obey and grow in strength and courage when we are reminded of God's promise to be with us. I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. Because of God's promise, because of God's nearness, because he is with us. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Okay, so there's the command. We are to obey in strength and courage. But why and how? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Verse 9. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. A characteristic of our obedience to God is strength and courage, but how do we get that strength and courage? We get that strength and courage by God's nearness, by the fact that he is with us, by the fact that he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Second characteristic of obedience is humility. We see that that obedience produces humble people. Look at Joshua chapter 5. Verse 13 through 15, this is right before they are about to go into the city of Jericho. And so God's preparing them to enter the promised land. He's told them in chapter 1 to be strong and courageous. That's a characteristic of your obedience. It has strength and courage. And now we see this humility. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. When Joshua was, was by Jericho, so they're getting ready to enter the city now. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So they're about to enter Jericho. There's adversaries. There's, there's a war that's about to happen. And Joshua is trying to, trying to get the strength and courage from being reminded of the nearness of the Lord. And he's looking at the city. He's seeing this battle about to happen. And he's, and he's seeing, he has this vision. This guy stands in front of him and he says, Are you for us or against us? I don't still quite understand the answer of verse 14, but he says, no. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Now I have come. This is the presence of the Lord Almighty showing up. And I I don't understand why he doesn't just say, yes, I'm for you, because God is for his people and he's always fighting for his people. And I tried to figure this one out this week, but I couldn't. So if some of you could figure this out, why he says no, I would love to understand that. But he says, no, I'm not either for you or against you. I'm not here to overtake Jericho for you and to help you. I'm just, he just states who he is. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now I have come. It's like God is reminding Joshua that his presence is here. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I am with you. 
don't worry about the outcome of this battle. Maybe that's why he doesn't even address it. He says, no, don't worry about whose side I'm on. I am the Lord and I am with you. And how does Joshua respond? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. That's how we respond to God. In faith, with obedience, is to be humbled before the presence of the Lord. God shows up. This is a theophany. This is God or Jesus Christ coming, the commander of the Lord's army. I believe it's a, a, a presence. It's a theophany. It's Jesus showing up before Jesus was born as a man to Joshua and saying, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. And Joshua falls on his face and worships him. What does the Lord say to his servant? The end of verse 14. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so God is interacting with Joshua in a similar way that he interacted with Moses. Moses saw the Lord in a burning bush and had to take off his sandals for the ground that he was standing on was holy. And here Joshua sees the Lord. He has this interaction with the Lord. It's like the baton is being passed from Moses to Joshua. And Joshua's response is to be humbled before the Lord. A characteristic of obedience is humility. We must respond to God by seeing his power, by seeing his unmatchable worth and being humbled before him. Church, when was the last time that you got on your face or on your knees before the Lord? Not, not, not in fear that he's going to punish you, but in reverent respect and worship and awe of who he is. Faith produces obedience in us, and obedience, a sign, a characteristic of our obedience is humility. It's not thinking that God owes us something. It's not thinking that we can manipulate God to do what we think should be done. It's coming before him on our knees, on our face, and acknowledging that he is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, and yet he has entered our presence, and he has allowed us into his presence. So if you want to grow in obedience, if you want to grow in faith, figure out a way to be humbled before the mighty hand of the Lord. Maybe that means reading passages about his worth and his glory. Maybe that means getting out in his creation, standing at the foot of a mountain or staring at an ocean and realizing that you could never create all of that. You cannot control all of that. But God, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, the commander of the Lord's army, is powerful and in control. A characteristic of our obedience is humility. When was the last time that you allowed your heart and your life to be humbled before the Lord? That's what we see happening here with Joshua. The next characteristic is, is just counterintuitiveness. I mean, to follow the Lord is often, to be obedient to God often requires us to be counterintuitive. And that's the, the, the main statement in the beginning that obedience comes before evidence. That's counterintuitive to human nature. We don't want to walk in a direction unless we know that that direction, unless we know what that direction looks like. But here we see God leading his people to trust him. A characteristic of their obedience was, was counterintuitive. God gave them a seemingly foolish plan. He often does this. Does he not? Let's look at it. Joshua chapter 6. Now here's the story of them going into Jericho. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. 
And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. Okay? There's the city. They have a king. They have mighty men. It's a fortified city with a massive wall around it. They have all of the military weaponry, the common military weaponry of the day. So they are high, they're up on a wall, and Israel is low, they're on the ground, and God says to Joshua, I'm going to give you this city. All odds are against them, by the way. They're on the ground, they're about to attack this city that's walled in and fortified. And God says, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, verse 2, with its king and mighty men of valor, verse 3. Here's the battle plan. This is counterintuitive or crazy. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of rams, horns, before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat." That's the battle plan of the Lord? How counterintuitive is this? He doesn't say get, get the best weaponry, get the, get the best soldiers, craft the best battle plan that you can. He says walk around the city one time for six days in a row, and then on the seventh day seven times, and then blow your trumpets and shout, and these walls will drop, and the city will be yours. God will win the battle, this decisive victory on your behalf. And, it, and that's what faith looks like. It looks like taking God at his word and following his plan and his instructions. It's counterintuitive to life's logic. Faith is counterintuitive to life's logic. Side note to any leaders among us or people who aspire to be leaders. People often follow a person, not a plan. Okay? This is a crazy plan. This is a foolish plan. You won't find any military general around through any time. And in, in, in warfare strategy, wartime strategy changes with each generation and each modern technological advance. You won't find any military general who would say, this is a great plan. The people didn't follow the plan. They followed Yahweh, the one who created the plan, and they followed Joshua, the guy who God had called to lead them. Joshua believed God. Joshua had had this intimate interaction with God. Joshua had been humbled before the Lord. Joshua was leading his people with strength and courage. And the Israelites followed. Why did they follow? Not because the plan made sense on paper, but because they trusted the God who was behind the plan and they trusted the man who God had called to lead them. So that's a note and a reminder for us. Some of you love plans. You love strategy. You love methods. There's a time and a place for that. But remember, as people, we're to follow the spirit of the Lord, not the strategy of man. This strategy was from the Lord, and it was a foolish strategy on paper to the world. So God calls us to follow him with kind of a counterintuitive, going against cultural wisdom. Mike and Linda, as they moved to Brazil years ago, got pregnant three months after being in Brazil, right? Three months after you'd been there? American wisdom would have said, return home, 
have your kid, work your jobs, send your kid to a good school, make sure you get their education right. That's how you will raise this kid to be productive in society. But God's plan for them and God's heart for them was to stay in Brazil, raise their kids in a Brazilian school. Counterintuitive, countercultural. Linnea, she's leaving in a couple months. She just got tenured at her school. She's going to Guatemala. She shared with us last week. The world wisdom, cultural wisdom would say, this job is awesome. This life that you have here in the west metros of the Twin Cities, this is an incredible life for you. Why in the world would you risk that and leave that and go live in Guatemala for a couple of years? That's the world's wisdom. But God's wisdom says, follow me. Follow me and, and, and walk out the plan that I have for you. Matt, Matt just graduated seminary. Matt could put out his resume. He could find a church that would pay him a full-time salary to come and do some kind of job at some kind of church. The world's wisdom, and, and his impulse probably is saying, that sounds really good. I mean, I went to seminary, I did my time, I should find a church that'll give me a full paycheck and benefits and start my ministry career off very easy with, with kind of all the details taken care of on paper. And yet he feels God calling him into this church revitalization with Elmwood Evangelical Free Church in St. Anthony, Maine, St. Anthony Village, where the funds are still to be determined. Matt has no guarantee that he's going to get a paycheck for doing ministry, but he is following the Lord, which means he has to think counterintuitively. He has to trust God's plan. He has to trust God's word. He has to follow where the Spirit leads. Same for Linnea, same for Mike and Linda, same for Doris Ekblad, who we'll hear from later. This is a life of faith. This is what obedience looks like. And then the last characteristic of obedience is we see that obedience is rewarded. God rewards obedience. That's a characteristic of it. Now, we are saved by grace. We are not saved by works. So our salvation has nothing to do with our obedience, and we're going to get there at the end. However, obedience is rewarded. Look at how obedience is rewarded in this story. Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 22. So they did what the Lord had done them, kind of the passage that we're skipping here. They did what the Lord called them to do. They followed his crazy plan, and the walls, in fact, did fall down, and they overtook the city. Verse 22, so there's a reward right there. I mean, they obeyed and God did what he said he would do. He gave them what he promised he would give them. Verse 22, but the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman who belonged to her as you swore to her. And this last week we looked at Rahab. She was a prostitute who lived in the city wall, who hid the spies, who helped God. Her, her fear changed from fear of man to fear of God. She put her trust in God, and now God is rewarding Rahab by preserving her life. He rewards obedience. Verse 23, so the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. They burned the city, everything destroyed, everything gone. But Rahab, the one who in faith obeyed God, the prostitute and her father, her household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out 
Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at this time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. God rewarded his people. He rewarded Israel. He rewarded Rahab, who was a non-Israelite, who was included into the family of God. He rewards obedience. So if you want to start receiving rewards from the Lord in this, this meaningful relationship, if, if you want to reap the rewards and the benefits of your salvation, learn to obey the Lord. What does obedience look like? It looks like growing in strength and courage as you're reminded that the Lord is near. It looks like getting on your face or your knees before the Lord. And sometimes that's metaphorical, like just humble yourself before the Lord. But church, sometimes I think we literally, physically need to get on our face and our knees before the Lord. There's been a few times in my own life where I've just been struck with the majesty of God and the glory of God and the sinfulness of my own heart and yet the fact that in his grace and mercy he welcomes me in and I've gotten down on my face and my knees before the Lord and those were sweet times of interaction and relationship. So I encourage you, church, get on your knees and your face before the Lord. Be humbled underneath the mighty hand of the Lord for at the right time he will raise you up. And then think counterintuitively. Don't listen to the wisdom of the world. Get to know God, know his word, know what he's asking of you, and follow that, even if all signs around you point to that being foolish. If it's birthed out of God's word and faith in who he is and what he's doing, follow him, follow him, follow him. And he will reward that obedience. Sometimes the reward looks like losing your life. I mean, the apostles, the disciples in the New Testament, they were martyred for their faith. And so please don't hear me sharing a health, health wealth, and prosperity gospel type of thing where everything's going to be good on the surface. You may lose everything on the surface. But God rewards those who trust him who follow him. Sometimes it's physically, it's circumstantially here in this lifetime, but it's always eternally for those who follow. That's what we see here in this story. So how do we grow in obedience? That's characteristics of obedience. That's what obedience looks like here in this story in Joshua chapter 6. How do you and I practically grow in this? I mean, I'm sure we want this. We want to be strong and courageous. We want to be humble before the Lord. We want to be able to live our lives counterintuitively which is hard because it's counterintuitive. And so, yeah. And we want to receive righteous rewards from the Lord. How do we do this? Just five ways that I want to touch on of how we can grow in obedience. The first one is to know who God is. When Israel obeyed the Lord, they had to be reminded of who God was. Every time that we see them step out in faith, when we see them walking around the walls of Jericho in faith that those walls would actually fall, they had to be reminded of who God was. They had just, in chapter 5, they had just had Passover. So as they walk around the walls of Jericho, Passover is fresh on their mind. They're being reminded of who God is. God actually parted the Jordan River so that they could pass through on dry ground. Remember their story about 40 years ago, God parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. But now in the book of Joshua, right before they get to Jericho, God actually parts, parts the River Jordan so that they could walk through on dry ground. 
Obedience requires us knowing who God is. We can't obey foolishly. We can't obey questioning. We can't obey if we don't understand that the person who we are obeying is trustworthy. And so church, if we want to grow in obedience, we have to know who God is. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings, to remind one another who God is. We sing songs to remind us, our heads and our hearts, of who God is. We look at his word so that we are reminded of who God is. We scatter into community groups and do life together to remind one another of who God is. We also need to know who God says we are. I mean, Israel, when they took steps of faith, counterintuitive steps of faith, they had to be reminded that they were the people of God and God had made a covenant with them. In Joshua chapter 6, as they're walking around the walls of Jericho, 11 mentions of the Ark of the Covenant in Joshua chapter 6. As they're walking around the walls of Jericho, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord and the law of the Lord is with them in their midst. That was a reminder to the people that they were God's chosen people. They were Israel. Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, was their God. And so church, we gather to remind one another of who God says we are. If we are in Jesus Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God. And we can't obey if we forget who we are. Obedience is produced by the gospel. It's produced by God. It's produced by what he's done. It's produced by believing the truth and living it out. So we grow in obedience by knowing who God says we are. We also must know what God has called us to do. You can't obey if you don't know what you're being asked to do, right? I mean, that's just simple logic. So sometimes scripture has simple logic as well. Oftentimes it's countercultural. And it seems illogical to the flesh. But this is very logical and this is just true. You can't obey if you don't know what you're being asked to do. Israel knew what God was asking of them. He said, I've promised you this city, I've promised you this land, and in order to get it, you need to walk around the city one time for six days, seven times on the seventh day, do what I've told you to do, 13 times, 13 passes around the city. Why in the world did God ask them to do that? I don't know, but I have to think it must be for them to be reminded of how dependent they were on God. I mean, each pass around that city, do you think that they're thinking more and more like, is the blow of this trumpet actually going to take that brick wall down? I, how is that even going to work? That's counterintuitive. That's not, that's not how... Warfare works. Buildings don't come down by the shout of noise. And so I think with these 13 laps, God must have been working on their dependence, working on their faith, developing that. But they had to know specifically what God had called them to do. And so for us, church, if we want to grow in obedience, we need to slow down. We need to take time. We need to seek wise counsel and know what God has asked us to do. Read his word, pursue him in prayer, get in relationship and conversation with him and understand what God has asked you to do. Pastor Ben and his wife Jenny, who are gone on sabbatical this month, be praying for them. When they moved to St. Louis Park, it was counterintuitive for them to move here to join us on the church planting adventure. They had three kids, they had a job, they had a house, and our proposal to them to plant a church was move to a city, they, they like the country. Our proposal to Ben and Jenny was, move to the city, which you don't, that's not your natural place that you want to live. We can't offer you a house. We can't offer you a paycheck. We can't tell you how in the world your three kids are going to be provided for. And so, they sought wise counsel. 
They sought scripture. They asked people. And they felt like God was calling them to move here to plant a church. Counterintuitive, right? Nothing about that makes sense. Three kids to provide for. Hey, look at this great package. The package is you get to raise all of your own money and find your own place to live and we have no benefits, nothing to offer you. And they did it because God called them to do it. Counterintuitive. They knew what God had called them to do and they did it. Fourth way to to grow in obedience is to cling to God's promises. To understand what he has promised to us and to cling to that despite what the circumstances of our lives tell us. So Ben and Jenny, with this example, they, they stepped out in faith, counterintuitive faith, trusting God, and they had to cling to God's promises. One of Ben's stories of understanding what God was calling them to do is he was walking through the woods and he was fearful about where they would live and how God would provide for them and if they would have a house. And I have three kids, God, I have to provide a house for my, my wife and my kids. And God led him down this path and he should be here to tell you the story. He can tell it to us another time. But there was like a little bird nest that he found and he felt like God was saying, hey, I provide a, a place for birds to live. Don't worry about it. He kept walking down this path in the woods and there was a deer bed. And he said it felt like God was telling him, hey, I've, I've provided a place for the deer to lay down and, and take a nap. I can provide a place for you and your family to lay your head. And then he kept going down this path and eventually he came to this log house in the woods and God was like, I got you covered, don't worry about it. And so he had to cling to God's promises looking at passages like Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12 which God tells us as a promise that if you seek first the kingdom of God, he will provide your basic needs. And so Ben and his wife Jenny had to cling to the promises of God in order to be obedient. You and I, if we want to grow in obedience, we have to learn God's promises, know your Bible, read your Bible, study your Bible. If you don't understand it, ask questions. Get in a community where you can ask questions, where you can be taught. Learn God's promises and cling to his promises. That's how you grow in obedience. You step out in obedience when you know that God is going to fulfill his promises to you. And then fifthly, live by God's principles. So scripture has promises for us, things that God has promised to do for us, but it also has thousands of principles that if you do this, generally this is going to happen. If you live this way, generally this is going to result. If you, if you do this with your money, generally this will happen. If you do these, if you've forgiven your relationships, generally, generally your relationships will look like this. And so growing in obedience means living by God's principles. That's what Israel did in this story. They had to know who God was, the power that he had, the heart of love that he has for his people. They had to know who God said they were, his covenant people. They had to know what God had called them to do, walk around this city 13 times. Crazy plan, but they did it because they knew what God asked them to do. Cling to his promises. God has promised us this land, so even though walking around this city seems counterintuitive, God has promised this to us, so we will do what God has asked us to do. And then they lived by his principles. They continued to walk by faith, not sight. They continued to obey before they had evidence of how that obedience would work. I mean, it's not like with their 13 passes, the first 12, like bricks were slowly falling and, you know, each time they got a little example of, okay, this, this part of the wall is starting to cave. No, the wall stood there perfectly fine until the 13th pass when they blew the trumpets and shouted and then the thing fell flat 
as Joshua chapter 6 said. They had to walk by faith. So this is what we see. These are the characteristics of obedience that we see and ways of growing in obedience that we see. But church, there's, there's one last thing here, and I don't want this to be a sermon about how we can grow in obedience, right? So what we need to do is take this out of the Old Testament example that we're called to imitate. We are called to imitate that. So as we look at that story, as we look at Joshua chapter 6, as we see how the people of Israel followed God and how Joshua led the people of Israel, there's examples in there for us to imitate. We ought to imitate the obedience of those people. Look for the principles in that story and start to obey them. But we have to transition from the Old Testament example that we're called to imitate and into the New Testament gospel or good news which we are called to participate in. We imitate their faith, but we participate in something much more profound. The good news, the gospel. If we move from the story of Jericho, Joshua and Jericho, into Jesus, here's what we see. In Jericho, we hear a shout of obedience which caused physical walls to fall down. This allowed God's people who had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of sin, and it allowed them to enter into a place of rest. It allowed them to enter into God's presence, God's promised home. Okay, in Jericho, we hear a shout of obedience that caused physical walls to fall down. But in Jesus, we hear a final shout of obedience. His voice rang, rang out from the cross. It is finished. To Tetelestai, it is finished. And the temple veil was torn in two. Not the physical walls of Jericho. The temple veil which separated God from his people, torn in two, the spiritual wall separating us from God is ripped open that we might come in. And it's through Christ's perfect obedience, not through our flaky obedience. That's why we gather. That's what we worship. That's how we learn to obey, by remembering who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. There's principles in the Old Testament for us to imitate. But ultimately, we need to worship Jesus, the one who calls us to participate. He shouted, it is finished. The temple veil torn into. We get to enter the presence of the living God on Jesus' record of perfect obedience and righteousness, not ours. And isn't that good news? Because none of you have a perfect record of righteousness and obedience. And you can't start over today and live the rest of your life in perfect obedience. Just because you heard a sermon that had some good points about how to grow in obedience, you can't walk out of here and do that. You can't do it. I've tried. I continue to try. I know many of you who have tried for your whole life and you're older than me. You've lived this life longer than me and you say, yeah, it doesn't work. I can't clean my life up. I can't perfectly obey God. The good news is you don't have to. Jesus paid the price for us. He lived the life that we couldn't died the death that we should have, and now we are wrapped up into his family with a new identity and a new power to grow in obedience for, our, for his glory and for our good, but not for our salvation. That's found only in and through Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the life that you lived, a perfect life which we could never live and the death that you died, a sinner's death in our place. You died the death of one who lived as though he was disobedient, but you weren't. You were perfectly obedient to everything God asked of you. And yet you died in our place. 
And you shouted from that cross, it is finished, and the temple veil was torn in two. A spiritual wall that separated us from you was demolished and gone. And so now I pray that you would remind us of that gospel truth, that we would enter your presence over and over again, for the battle has been won. The dividing wall of hostility has been torn in two and separated, and we now can be your people in your presence. So I pray now that you would remind us of that truth as we respond to it with communion. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Amen. As we respond now to the good news of the gospel, we have communion stations, two in the front and one in the back, and we just invite you to visit the communion stations when you feel ready, when you feel led. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, these elements are here to remind you, the, the bread to remind you that Jesus' body was broken for you the cup to remind you that his blood was shed for you, that from the cross he shouted out, it is finished. So your salvation doesn't depend on you being strong and courageous because most of you are weak and fearful. And I say most of you, meaning all of you, myself included. And it's not contingent on you being able to be counterintuitive because you're not. You're intuitive. You're not counterintuitive. We need the Spirit to help us abide by God's word. And whatever the other points were, they're written down somewhere. You can look at them. We can't muster that up on our own. As we come to the elements, we're reminded that it's only through Jesus. He shouted, it is finished. That tore the separation, the the dividing wall or veil between you and Jesus. And so now you're welcomed in. So those of you who believe, this is for you as a reminder. Those of you who may not have placed your faith in Jesus, you can do that here and now today. Jesus... I need you. I don't understand even what that means, but surrender your life to him. Say, I want to walk in faith and obedience, and I want to figure that out. And your first act of faithful obedience can be responding to him with the elements. And so come as you feel ready. Come as you feel led. This is a time when you can stand and sing. You can sit and think. You can encourage one another. If God puts a word of encouragement on your heart for a brother or sister, or if you need to get right with somebody, Do this. This is a time to freely engage the Lord and his people for his glory and for our good.